Donald Trump's New York indictment and what it means for Georgia. Donald Trump was arraigned on a New York Supreme Court indictment returned by a Manhattan grand jury on 34 felony counts of falsifying business records in the first degree. This is a special crossover edition of the Politically Georgia and Breakdown podcast from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Patricia Murphy, one of the hosts of Politically Georgia, and I'm joined by the hosts of Breakdown, Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. They've been following the entire special purpose grand jury proceedings and investigation of Donald Trump, as well as his allies and their attempts to overturn the 2020 election here in Georgia. And as most of the world knows, Donald Trump is now the first current or former president ever to be indicted in American history. And here to unpack the entire events of the week are Bill and Tamar. Um, Bill, this is the week that we've been waiting for, although I think we thought the news might be coming out of Georgia first. Yes, it sure looks like Alvin Bragg stole Fannie Willis's thunder if she is going to bring an indictment against the former president. And, you know, for a long time, especially the earlier part of this year, it really looked like Fonnie Willis here in Fulton County would be the one who would beat everyone to the punch here in terms of uh, announcing indictments of former President Donald Trump. It seemed like the New York investigation had been largely dormant for a really long time. And it's only been in the last couple months, really, where we've seen any sort of movement from them. But As things picked up, they picked up really quickly. They picked up very, very quickly. On Tuesday afternoon, Donald Trump arrived at the Manhattan courthouse to surrender and be processed. He was fingerprinted, but not handcuffed or photographed for a mugshot. He pled not guilty at his arraignment, but said little else as his 34 felony charges were read to him. This is the special crossover edition of Politically Georgia and Breakdown from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. And we're back to a special crossover edition of the Politically Georgia and Breakdown podcast. I'm Patricia Murphy of the Politically Georgia podcast, and I'm joined by Breakdown's Tamar Hallerman and Bill Rankin. We have lots of audio from the day and earlier in the week as Donald Trump surrendered in Manhattan and then made his way back to Florida to deliver a speech to his supporters Here is District Attorney Alvin Bragg at his press conference following the court hearing on Tuesday. Earlier this afternoon, Donald Trump was arraigned on a New York Supreme Court indictment returned by a Manhattan grand jury on 34 felony counts of falsifying business records in the first degree. Under New York state law, it is a felony to falsify business records with intent to defraud and an intent to conceal another crime. That is exactly what this case is about. 34 false statements made to cover up other crimes. These are felony crimes in New York State, no matter who you are. We cannot and will not normalize serious criminal conduct. The defendant repeatedly made false statements 
on New York business records. He also caused others to make false statements. The defendant claimed that he was paying Michael Cohen for legal services performed in 2017. This simply was not true. So, Bill Rankin, let's go to you first. What are the details that we learned from Alvin Bragg about exactly what these charges are surrounding? We have heard in the past about hush money payments. What does that mean and what is Donald Trump being charged with here? Well, the indictment center on three sets of hush money payments. We didn't uh, know that was coming. We were all, we had only heard one. We had heard the one made to porn star Stormy Daniels and it, there was another to Karen McDougal, a former Playboy Playmate of the Year, both said they had been intimate with Trump. The third involved a former doorman at Trump Tower who said he had knowledge of a love child Trump had allegedly fathered outside his marriage. The tabloid, the National Enquirer, which has longtime ties to Trump, was involved with buying the exclusive rights to the story of the doorman and McDougal, the Playboy Bunny, except editors planned to bury the stories, not run them. It's a process known as catch and kill. It's important to note that Trump has denied sleeping with um, Stormy Daniels and also denied an affair with McDougal as well. And the doorman story was apparently baseless. But the former president has acknowledged repaying Michael Cohen for paying out the hush money. All right. Well, here is Bragg talking about the timing of the indictment when he was asked in a QA and a afterward if it was politically motivated. We conducted a thorough and rigorous investigation, as we're known to do, at the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. Uh, I've been um, doing this for 24 years uh, and am no stranger to rigorous, complex investigations. Uh, I bring cases when they're ready. Uh, having now conducted a rigorous, thorough investigation, The case was ready to be brought, and it was brought. All right. Well, those comments seemed really surreal in the moment, and the scene outside the courthouse was surreal as well. Donald Trump had called for protests, but news reports showed that journalists covering the case far outnumbered the protests. That was certainly the case for Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene from right here in Georgia. She went up to Manhattan and held a rally. It was meant to be a rally, but it really was uh, quite a bit more of Marjorie Taylor Greene speaking, a number of counter-protests shouting over her, and then journalists covering covering the entire scene. Here's that audio. Donald J. Trump is innocent. This is election interference. The DA Alvin Bragg is nothing but a George Soros-funded tool. He is a tool for the Democrats to try to hijack the 2024 presidential election. Tamar, that scene itself was just sort of hard to wrap your head around. But when you heard the counts against Donald Trump, as well as the evidence that was presented, we're told that wasn't all of the evidence or all the information that we'll be getting. What was your first reaction to what you heard? Well, I think obviously we knew that charges were coming. I was stunned when I heard that there would be 34 charges and that they were felonies. Um, As Bill mentioned, we knew that Stormy Daniels and hush money payments uh, given to her were going to be central to this. We didn't realize just how expansive this was going to be. And the way that they got to 34 is they really counted each payment that was made. And and many of these payments were kind of made in chunks as a different count. So they got to 34 pretty quickly. And it's a pretty astonishing number. And just 
The sheer fact, as we mentioned, that never in American history has a former president been indicted of a crime. It truly was a remarkable moment, even though, as you mentioned, many of us had seen this coming. We've been talking about this distinct possibility for a while now. But just seeing that image of Trump in the courtroom, sitting there with his lawyers, looking downtrodden and sad, it was just a mind-boggling moment. I'll tell you what struck me. I mean, I've been thinking for months now what the scene outside the Fulton County Courthouse will be if Trump is indicted here. So we got a we got a good taste of that, and it is pretty overwhelming. It, I can't even imagine what it's going to be like here if he is indicted. Yeah, I would say even just the security presence alone from NYPD was so overwhelming, and I was trying to imagine. Atlanta PD putting forth that kind of a showing. I think, um, you know, it's possible we'll all see exactly what happens. But Bill, in other ways, other than just the sheer potential foreshadowing, how does the Manhattan case impact what's going on here in Fulton County, if it does at all? Well, it could have some effects over the next year because there could be a hearing scheduled in New York. And if Trump is indicted here, there will there may be a motion to dismiss the case here. So they're going to have to work out their schedules. They're going to have to coordinate between New York and Atlanta. And I guess if he is indicted here in Atlanta, the big question is who goes to trial first? That'll be a very, very interesting question. Well, we didn't hear a lot from Donald Trump in the moment, but by Tuesday evening, he was speaking to his supporters at Mar-a-Lago and he addressed that incredible 34 count felony indictment. So here we are now. It's where we were today in a city that was so great just four or five years ago. But now we're there. Spend time there today, as you possibly read, with a local failed district attorney charging a former president of the United States for the first time in history on a basis that every single pundit and legal analyst said, there is no case, there's no case. They kept saying, there's no case. (laughs) Virtually everyone. But it's far worse than that, because he knew there was no case. We are a nation in decline. And now these radical left lunatics want to interfere with our elections by using law enforcement. We can't let that happen. And not for the first time, Trump also took aim at District Attorney Fonnie Willis in Atlanta. And in the wings, they've got a local racist Democrat district attorney in Atlanta who is doing everything in her power to indict me over an absolutely perfect phone call, even more perfect than the one I made with the president of Ukraine. Remember, I kept saying, that's a perfect call. This one was more perfect. (laughs) Nobody said, sir, you shouldn't say that. Many people on the phone were hung up in disgust because of something I inappropriately said, because nothing was said wrong. In fact, at the end of the call, we agreed to continue our conversation about election fraud and election fraud, specifically in Georgia, at a later time. Many people on the phone, including lots of lawyers, nobody found anything wrong with that perfect call until a book promotion tour many months later. All of a sudden they say, you know, I remember Trump making a call. Let's look at that. 
This fake case was brought only to interfere with the upcoming 2024 election, and it should be dropped immediately. Immediately. Tamar, what has really struck me also about Donald Trump leading up to this moment is the incredibly incendiary things he has said about Alvin Bragg. And there we heard him talking about Fonnie Willis as well. What should we expect, do you think, uh, in what he might say about Fonnie Willis? And how does that affect how you think she's going to proceed? I don't think it would be too much of a jump to say that everything that's been thrown at Alvin Bragg, we're going to see thrown at Fonnie Willis in Atlanta, should she seek charges against former President Trump. Um, we've already heard him call her a racist. Fonnie is is Black. And he's called her that multiple times over the last year or so. Um, we've heard him call her an ambitious prosecutor in Atlanta, which I think is, is pretty accurate. But we, we're also going to see far worse things thrown at her. We saw him call uh, D.A. Bragg in Manhattan an animal. Um, Alvin Bragg of course, is also Black, and there's lots of uh, racism associated with that term. And we could see much, much more because, of course, Fannie Willis is also a woman, and so we could see lots of gendered things thrown at her as well. You know, and the DA Willis down here has mentioned getting all sorts of racist garbage thrown her way when she announced the start of this investigation, death threats, you name it, being brought her way. And so she's really ramped up security at the courthouse um, and even among her own staff over the last two years. She has security that's with her pretty much around the clock, also at her home. She bought bulletproof vests for her top investigators on this case. Many of them have little panic button keychains that they can press if they feel unsafe as they walk around in the world. And we can only imagine how much more pressure these folks are going to feel, especially the ones who are going to appear on camera and become more widely known as a result of this investigation. So, Bill, bring us up to speed on what's happening in Fulton County, if you would. I think we've all been really focused on New York. What are some of the latest developments in Fulton County that our listeners should be aware of? Well, as everybody should know, there's been a special purpose grand jury that investigated for eight months and they issued a final report. We know that they recommended indictments. We don't know who they recommended to be indicted. We also know that grand juries in Fulton County, regular grand juries, work in two-month terms. So there was one in January and February. There's one now in March and April. And there's a new one starting in May. So we're waiting to see if something happens in May as an indictment. Do you have any guess at the timeline or are you watching that potential May grand jury? There's a thought that if you file a motion for a speedy trial in Georgia, you have to try the prosecution. There, there are exceptions, but um, the prosecution typically would have to try it within two grand jury terms. Some counties in Georgia, the smaller ones, have six-month terms, so you'd have to try it within a year. But in Fulton County, you'd have to try it within four months. So the thinking is if many people are indicted and you know, some of the lawyers for some of the defendants file speedy trial demands, you would want as much time as possible to prepare. So you would think you would file it early in a grand jury term. That's just speculation. You know, we'll see. We'll see. We're, we're going to be, we look at every day. We keep up every day. So we're not, we're not <laughs> taking anything for granted. <laughs> I feel like y'all both are sleeping with one eye open at this point. Tamar, what is your feeling on the timeline here? 
Yeah, I think this spring, a little later this spring is when we're we're kind of watching at this point. And a question I get a lot just in terms of clearing up confusion about how this process worked. So this special grand jury that met for eight months and then issued a set of recommendations, they did not have indictment powers. All they could do was issue recommendations to Fulton D.A. Willis on what they think she should do in terms of indictments. The D.A. has been reviewing those recommendations, but it's ultimately her decision on whether she wants to pursue anything. Should she decide she wants to get charges, she would go to a regular grand jury. Um these folks, as Bill said, are impaneled for two-month terms, and on any given day, they're hearing dozens of different felony cases, murders, arson, kidnapping, anything under the sun. And so they would be hearing this as a part of their regular grand jury duties. They would not be exclusively focused on the Trump case like this special grand jury was. And what the DA can do, it's up to her. She could present the grand jury report to the regular grand jurors and say, here's what the special grand jury said after eight months. She could even bring in some of the best witnesses who came in to testify before the special grand jury to the regular grand jury to get them to approve charges. It's really up to her in terms of how much information she wants to present. And in order for this regular grand jury to approve of, of charges, a majority of them have to agree that there is more evidence than there is not that somebody might have committed a crime. So it's really like 51% chance that somebody committed a crime. It doesn't have to be an overwhelming amount of evidence. It doesn't have to be beyond a reasonable doubt like what you would see during a jury trial. The standard is relatively low, hence the adage that you often commonly hear that a grand jury would indict a hand sandwich. So the bar is relatively low to get an indictment. And my last question for you guys uh, for this portion, do we know that she has not done that yet? Do we know she has not taken this to the grand jury yet? We don't. Grand juries meet in secrecy. So why did you bring that up? Now you're making me nervous. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a special crossover edition of Politically Georgia and Breakdown from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean breeze. Tropical beach. An air freshener can make your car smell like paradise. A drive to Daytona Beach will actually get you there. Beach on. Plan your trip today at DaytonaBeach.com. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has a special offer for our podcast listeners. If you subscribe today, you can get three months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. That's all of our sports coverage, politics, breaking news, investigations, food and dining, and of course, everything happening at the Fulton County Courthouse. Get all of our stories on AJC.com, access to our e-paper and our assortment of newsletters. So join the community by going to subscribe that ajc.com slash podcast that subscribe dot ajc.com slash podcast so you always know what's really going on well new york attorney 
Nick Ackerman is a former Watergate prosecutor. Bill and Tamar had a chance to speak with Nick earlier this week, and they asked him about the significance of Tuesday's court appearance. Well, there's no question that this was an historic moment with Donald Trump being indicted for crimes, uh, probably the first of several that come out this year. Uh, But this was the first. Uh, The first uh, indictment of a president could have happened when I was on the Watergate prosecution back in 1974. Um, But because President Ford pardoned Nixon, um, we really couldn't move ahead with the cases that we had. That kind of put the end to, you know, any indictment on the Watergate cover-up trial or the case that I had put together on Nixon on his uh, income taxes uh, for cheating on his taxes by donating a gift of papers to the government with a backdated deed. So um, that could have been um, the first case, but it's not. And um, the one that was the first uh, came down the other day here in Manhattan. Bill, something I thought that was really striking on Tuesday were instructions from the judge to Donald Trump to stop making incendiary statements about the DAs, their staff, their families. But that is not the route that Donald Trump has chosen, and it's hard to imagine if he will. Right. Well, I've covered a lot of trials, and I've I've been around some really great and flamboyant criminal defense attorneys, and Some won't say a word about their case, but others will heap vitriol against the uh, government for bringing a case in the first place. But I've never, ever covered a case where a defendant has said the things that Donald Trump has said. I mean, he lashed out at the judge in New York overseeing the case. He's already done that. Like Tamar said earlier, he called Alvin Bragg a racist and an animal, and he called Fonnie Willis a racist. So it's really quite striking. And so we asked Nick Ackerman about this kind of behavior. It's Donald Trump. I mean, that's the way he operates, unfortunately. Uh, It doesn't gain him points in the courts or in the prosecutor's office, for sure. And at some point, it's going to get him charged with a separate crime of intimidation. Uh, In fact, I was surprised that the New York indictment uh, did not put in there the fact that Trump had posted on his um, media page a picture of himself with a baseball bat and Alan Bragg, the DA, um, which I thought would have amounted to uh, obstruction of the administration of government, which is a a misdemeanor in uh, Manhattan. Um, But they didn't do that. Um, But Trump is coming awfully close to the edge with others. And I think it's just a matter of time before he finds himself being charged with a crime for doing precisely what he's been doing. I mean, that just is not something uh, that judges are going to, um, you know, allow him to do as a matter of course. Bill and Tamar also asked Ackerman, who is a former prosecutor, how things will work if Donald Trump is indicted in Fulton County with another case against him already pending in Manhattan. Here's that answer. There's going to be some scheduling conflicts, obviously, um, particularly if trials get uh, set up and scheduled for the same time. Uh, Courts are going to have to get together and decide who goes first, depending what stage each particular prosecution is in. 
Um, I, I mean, I've never seen this happen before or the possibility that you've got here of Donald Trump being under four indictments in four different courts with four different judges. Uh, even the most notorious mob bosses in New York have never been uh, in that situation. So th this would be unprecedented as well, not only for a president, uh, but for a normal person or, you know, someone of uh, the stature of a mob boss. I mean, it's it's really quite um, unusual. And finally, Ackerman addressed the criticism of the Manhattan indictment, which has been accused by being a little flimsy and vulnerable to a legal attack. Many analysts say the case in Fulton County is stronger than that in Manhattan, with some going as far to say that the Georgia case should be the one going first. Oh, I, I mean, the case I hear, I mean, I know there's been some criticism, but as from my standpoint, as a former prosecutor, this is a very strong case. Um, and it's an important case. And let me just start off by saying the importance of it, it's almost like a bookend to what uh, is going to happen in Georgia, to the extent that in Georgia, you're going to be looking at him trying to maintain his power through fraud um, and other criminal means to stay in power as president um, by perpetrating the big lie that the election uh, in Georgia was stolen, was rigged, that dead people voted, people from out of state voted, et cetera. Um, and if you look at what's charged in New York, it really is a scheme to defraud the voters of the country in terms of getting elected to president in the first instance by concealing uh, information about his background and past by paying off people, whether it's the doorman at a building uh, who had information about him having a son out of wedlock, or it was about um, Karen McDougal having uh, information about their affair, or about Stormy Daniels, uh, who had information about uh, Donald Trump um, ha having an affair with her. Okay, well, let's unpack these two cases, Tamar. In your sense, having heard what has been charged in New York and what you know that could be charged in Fulton County, what is your sense of what is the stronger case, especially based on legal experts you've spoken with? Pretty much every single legal analyst I've spoken to has characterized the Fulton investigation as being stronger. And that's for a couple of reasons. The first, of course, is that there's a tape, a 62-minute tape of former President Donald Trump speaking with Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, asking that he find 11,780 votes. Um, pretty hard to say that that wasn't Donald Trump on that tape, um, and a pretty strong piece of evidence, according to many of the folks we've talked to. Um, as we have learned, there are two other tapes that the special grand jury has heard as well, including a conversation Trump had with the late House Speaker David Ralston, as well as Francis Watson, who was an investigator in the Secretary of State's office. So we have some pretty noteworthy tapes in Georgia. We also have a set of state laws that the legal experts I've spoken to say are very applicable to the situations at hand. There is a statute here barring solicitation to commit election fraud. And there's another statute here, racketeering, which allows prosecutors to pull in all sorts of different predicate acts in order to make an argument that, um, you know, these crimes fit into a broader pattern and that there is a person at the top seeking to kind of control a situation on the ground. And many prosecutors think that folks can use this RICO law quite effectively here in Georgia, whereas in New York, 
you know, you're talking more about a, a, some tawdry affairs that happened longer ago in the past and using a more untested legal theory in order to make these crimes felonies instead of misdemeanors. And Bill, it also feels like the case in Georgia is just bigger. There are more people involved. In New York, uh, obviously, they've already heard from Michael Cohen. They've heard from other associates with Donald Trump. But in Georgia, we're hearing it could be more than Donald Trump who is charged if indeed um, indictments are brought. Who else do you think we're talking about here? Who else could be wrapped up in this? Well, the special grand jury forewoman Emily Kors famously said they're recommend to ask for their recommendations. It's not a short list. I would be hesitant to name people, um, mm-hmm. but we know that the alternate electors who met at the state capitol and voted for Trump and Pence were sent target letters. We know that uh, Trump's former lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, and Jackie Pick, a lawyer from Texas, were also notified that they're targets. So I would not be very comfortable if I were them right now. And if there's more than one person charged, how does that work? Would it all happen at the same time, or are those all separate trials? Do you, Can you sketch out a little bit about what we might be looking at in the future? It depends. It depends if there's one broad sweeping indictment. Typically, all those people would go to trial at the same time. There could be attempts by defense attorneys to sever some of the uh, other defendants out. But if there are multiple indictments involving certain different facets of what happened here, those could proceed on different tracks. It's going to be interesting to see what, how it plays out. Yeah, I mean, that's just incredible to think about the scope of what could be happening if indeed these events played out the way we think that they could. Now, Tamar, of course, in the background um, and in some ways in the foreground are politics because Donald Trump is obviously announced that he's running again in 2024 for our election. He has already called the case against him in New York, a political witch hunt and part of an effort to engineer the election against him. But there is this really crazy calendar that we're looking at. Um, Even if it's just New York alone, he will be, I think, having court dates. And I'm going to have you all explain to me where he needs to be if he does need to go to those court dates. Uh, Then we have, as soon as August, the first Republican presidential primary, August of 2023. And then we will roll into the primaries starting in February of 2024. So that is obviously less than eight months out. Tamar, how could the politics and the court proceedings overlay each other here? It's really going to be hard to inoculate any prosecutions from politics. And of course, you talk to prosecutors and they say politics does not motivate them, but it's impossible to not look at this calendar and how tough it's going to be. As you mentioned, the first presidential primaries and caucuses, uh, February, March, April of next year. And at least when you start looking at Georgia, and I'm no expert at what's going on in Manhattan, but should the DA announce indictments here. I mean, the first fights that we're going to see will be over motions to dismiss, over questions of venue, 
especially if we're talking about former President Trump, is this something that needs to be tried in federal courts because he was a federal official at the time that he called folks like Brad Raffensperger? Or does this play out locally in state courts? That's a question that's going to be hotly debated and appealed and appealed again if the losers have anything to say about that. So we're talking well into later in the year or even next year, potentially, before we start getting into the meat of a case. Of course, we can only speculate at this point, but if we know anything from Donald Trump and his history in the court system, he's going to try and delay and run out the clock as much as he possibly can. One thing uh, Nick Ackerman told us is that it's usually up to the judge in New York, it's to the judge's discretion as to whether a defendant has to appear at a court hearing. And I would assume there are going to be quite a few court hearings up in New York. In, in Georgia, that doesn't always have to be the case. They don't have to be there. But if the judge in New York requires his presence during some of these hearings, he may be missing a lot of campaign stops. It's The timing's going to be very interesting. It's worth noting that here in Fulton County, D.A. Willis has done a lot to try and show the outside world that politics are not motivating her. She paused um, the initial meetings of the special grand jury until after the May primaries last year. She took a month-long break when they were hearing testimony around the November elections. And Judge McBurney, who's been overseeing the investigation so far, has also done a lot to try and inoculate the entire process from politics. At the same time, it's so impossible to do that in today's political climate because of the bare minimum facts of the case. We have a Democratic DA in a deep blue county here in Georgia who's investigating Republican officials and their allies. So no matter what she does, even if the DA does everything perfectly here on the ground in Georgia, is going to be accused of going after Trump and his allies because they are Republicans, no matter what. So this has been obviously a historic week in American politics. The two of you are really the leading reporters um, and experts about what's happening here on the ground in Fulton County. Um, Just as a quick wrap up question to both of you, how have y'all processed the week? Bill, do you have any thoughts on what you've seen so far and what you have in front of you? Well, like I said, the scene at the courthouse really hit home and it uh, <laughs> it's it's going to be something if the former president is charged here. I saw, it's hard to imagine, really. It's, it's hard to imagine. But now it's actually, it's, I guess it's more thinkable because of what we saw. I guess that's what has really struck me. Surreal is the word that I would use to describe everything. You know, we do a lot of reading as journalists, more reading often than we do writing. And so I've read a lot about what's going on in New York, and I've pictured what all of it could look like. But of course, how it appeared on the screens on Tuesday was still different from what I imagined. And just the sheer emotion behind it, you kind of forget that there are human beings behind all of this. And so to see it in action and and watching people interact with each other was really just surreal. And so I could only imagine if something remotely similar happens here in Georgia. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. Now, Bill, my final question for you, this is a technical one. So let me know if you're not ready for this, but I think you might be. Can somebody who's been indicted run for president? The U.S. Constitution has three requirements. You have to be at least 35 years old. You have to be a natural born U.S. citizen. 
and you must have lived in the United States at least 14 years? So the answer is yes. If you're under indictment, you can run for president. The answer is also yes if you have a felony conviction. Uh, Eugene Debs ran for president as the nominee for the Socialist Party in 1920. At the time, he was behind bars at the U.S. Penitentiary in Atlanta, having been convicted of violating the Espionage Act. He won more than 3% of the national vote. There is one exception, though, and it does possibly implicate Donald Trump. It's regarding the classified documents seized by the FBI at his Mar-a-Lago estate. And of course, you know, I'd be remiss to say that classified documents were also found in President Joe Biden's office and home and in Vice President Mike Pence's home. But there's a federal statute that says someone found to have concealed, removed, mutilated, or destroyed a top-secret government document shall be, quote, disqualified from holding any office under the United States. So, except for that one exception, if you're under indictment or if you're a felon, you can run for president. Fascinating. Well, I'm sure you have just told everybody listening to this podcast something they didn't know before, including me. Um, And I guess, of course, as in all court cases, Donald Trump is innocent until proven guilty. And even if he is proven guilty, it sounds like he could still be able to run for president under certain circumstances if he has the time. And true to form, Donald Trump had the final word on this entire surreal episode with a message on his Truth social media platform on Wednesday afternoon. And it said, as much as I enjoy a day like Tuesday, where the radical left lunatics, maniacs, and perverts had me indicted and arrested for no reason whatsoever, there was no crime. It was an unbelievable experience, perhaps the best day in history for somebody who had just suffered unjustifiable indictment. My poll numbers have never been better. Almost $10 million was raised for the campaign. And the day was capped off with a very important speech. If we don't stop the radical left, America is dead. Well, Bill and Tamar, thank you so much for your time and expertise on what I know is a very, very busy week for both of you. And thanks so much for listening to the special crossover edition of Politically Georgia and Breakdown Podcasts. We invite you to follow our podcast, Politically Georgia and Breakdown, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Along with Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman, I'm Patricia Murphy from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.